handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I am your host, J.L. Covan. It is 8.50 a.m. Eastern Time on May 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2022. And Cookie has just gotten up from her morning nap because something is happening in the hallway. Plus, the big man is doing the comedy voice thing, and it's very unsettling. That combo of person in hallway living and J.L talking comedy is upsetting her and she just gave a little whimper but now she has settled back down onto the floor and is awaiting the next crisis to bark about hi everybody it's it's an early morning recording relatively speaking for me um i'm already i had an early breakfast because i can't sleep guys we're back to the insomnia first it was lip sync and then it's paranoid boy summer with regards to my special taping. Um, The first time we did it, I heard the next day that it looked great, sounded great. Obviously that was false. So I don't know how to interpret the fact that I haven't heard anything in nine days about my second taping. Can I infer the opposite, which is it's fine and therefore doesn't necessitate an immediate calming falsehood? Or is there a problem? Or was it just not as amazing as the first one and they're going to slow walk this? I just, I haven't yet built up the courage to talk in a reasonable manner about the special with the people responsible for um, messing up the first one. So we'll see. Uh, I think this week, if I don't hear something, I will reach out and just say, hey, just checking to see uh, how it looks and if I'll be able to see it before I die, and if we can maybe get it produced and possibly sell it, but most likely not, and then I will have to ask 38 of my fans to purchase it, and 27 of them will, and my career will go out with uh, just an absolute pathetic whimper. Uh, But until that day, let's have a good podcast, shall we, folks? 
A lot of good news to share, and I'm not just talking about Jesus Christ-related news. I'm talking about comedy good news as well. Just kidding. There's really no good comedy news. There's just no news or... For you guys listening, no news is good news because no news means JL probably not deeply depressing and despondent this week. And I think that's where we're going to be, even though my voice sounds a little somber. I'm already up to walnuts and green tea and it's not even 9 a.m. I eat more food than most people eat before 9 a.m. That's my version of a Marines ad. Because when you can't sleep, you have breakfast at 6, you have a snack at 8.45, You go to Starbucks to read and eat a chocolate chip cookie at noon. You go for a walk. You work out. You have a protein shake. Then you have a a chicken salad. And then you eat a jar of Talenti. That's the JL method. You've got Tom Brady's TB12 method. Well, the JL69 method is finish every day uh, uh, by 69ing a jar of Talenti. am I talking about? Sometimes I feel like lack of sleep creates the same energy as me being drunk. I bet you there's some study out there. If you sleep less than three hours a night, it's the equivalent of funneling a bottle of wine up your ass. Um, So um, what do I want? There's a couple of things. There was a big comedy story in the the New York Post, Washington Post. No, the New York Post that I want to discuss because it's very relevant to my own career. And, uh, oh, I, I do have to, I have no shows to plug other than Boston. So if you are listening to this and you're a fan in the greater Boston, Massachusetts area, get your tickets now to City Winery. I, I'd love for those sales to just be uh, going strong. It's the only thing I have on the calendar to promote right now. So um, I'll be emailing a bunch of clubs this week. But given that I, you know, used up a lot of my vacation time, uh, and by a lot of, I mean 90% of it, on my victory, my, I just recorded the greatest special of 2022, and I'm going on a victory headlining tour, because when this special comes out, my career is made, tour. Um, And obviously, we know how that worked out. Um, So mostly I'll be able to do like weekend work. I can work remotely, but that's still, you know, travel days. I don't even have a lot of time for travel days. Um, So we'll see how many gigs I even get offered, but it'd be nice to get some. But obviously the special, uh, my hopes are not high, but that is still a career, a career potential changer, but probably not. Um, But between that, and, uh, you know, still crossing my fingers as they write season seven of Billions that they say, we need to bring JL back. Also, unlikely, but possible. But uh, the Patreon folks, um, thank you for everybody who's joined. I am sadly at not worst case scenario, but as I joked about how many patrons, like my goal, my, my, my goal pre-special taping is 200 subscribers. Now, it's, it's a, there's only two levels, $4 and $7. The $4 gets you everything except the live chats. But I can tell you the people who joined the live chat um, this month were, I think, very happy. And it was a very fun uh, discussion, chat, hangout. Um, I hope to do more creative things in the future with it, not just a, hey. I mean, obviously, if there are people who didn't make the first one and show up to, the, to, to June, you can still ask questions and stuff and just we can have a fun discussion hangout. But I do want to do creative things with those live shows or live hangouts. 
But uh, that's the only difference. So for four bucks, you're getting a, a lot. And when I say a lot, this isn't just uh, some bullshit like support me and you get a couple things. Like this week, episode two of Mike Pence Gaming goes up and the Righteous Girlfriend was actually laughing in the back. You can't hear her, but she was actually stifling a lot of laughter during that. Um, it's Mike Pence this month playing God of War, a very violent game featuring a very uh, muscular uh, lead character. It's it's really funny. Um, so people who like, you know, obviously there were like thousands of people who liked my Mike Pence impression. And, you know, that's one of the exclusive things. Um, I'll be reviewing, uh, reviewing Black Leopard Red Wolf the first week of June for that month's book review. And that's going to be... Definitely the most entertaining book review yet, and most likely the most entertaining book review for some time because of the nature of the book. And um, it's it's a it's a <laughs> it's it's a very it's an NC seventeen for sexual content and violent content f- fantasy set in like folklore Africa. Um, that's all I'm gonna say. Like it's gonna be a very fun book. Like so so I know June is going to be me putting up like good, good stuff. Um there's bonus podcasts. I've been keeping up almost almost a bonus a week. Um or you know, I've, there have been like three bonus episodes. So I'm doing sort of Tony Awards recaps because I'm seeing a lot of plays and musicals over the next month. So it's a lot of varied stuff. And it's a lot of good stuff, and it's stuff that costs me money. So it's like if you're a fan, I, 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 once again, I don't, you know, it's, it's hard to walk this line because I take such pride in my work. But, like, if you're a fan of my stuff, you should join the Patreon. Um, you don't have to join if it's just kind of a, I want to support JL. I, I want it to be a two-way street. I want you to want the stuff that I'm making. And I think you'll be happy with it. So, uh, as always, the the show notes will have the link to the Patreon. But my goal pre-special, so assuming the special is sold or or released in July, I'd like to be at 200 subscribers. I'm at 75 right now, so obviously that's going to be a big a big push. It hurts that I'm not reaching a lot of the fans via the algorithms and whatnot, but. Uh, you know, I, I hate to do like weekly reminders, but I'm going to for a while because 200 is the goal. 200 uh, subscribers, which which when you're talking 200,000 social media followers across platforms, it's actually more than that. But let's just round it to an even 200,000 subscribers. 0.1% of all fans joining a $4 Patreon doesn't seem like that big an ask. One uh, a tenth of a percent of my fans shelling out four bucks for stuff that costs me more than what I'm making a month seems like not a crazy uh, possibility, but that's the goal. That's my immediate goal. And then, obviously, if the special were to sell, the goal would then I would find a bunch of misfit people like so many of the popular Patreon people that exist, where it's like, this guy is not just a comedian. He's my thought-leading guru because I'm a fucking idiot. (laughs) That's one of the disadvantages of having uh, fans with lives and a sense of self and, um, you know, moral compasses and and all the things that well-adjusted normal human beings have is that they don't cling to a Patreon as sort of their version of tithing to a church uh, of whatever, you know, they, anyway, 
Um, I think you can read between the lines because it's pretty laid out pretty well there. I'm just a comedian. I'm not a thought leader for the thoughtless, uh, which is how you become an immense success on Patreon. (laughs) Thought leader for the thoughtless. Title. Anywho. Last night, uh, the reason I'm not, I didn't sleep well is partially because I had a show in Sellersville, Pennsylvania. And no fans showed up. Um, we're back to, we're back, you know, we're sort of back to 2019 level JL. Um, so that's fine. It's, it's you. It'll be the ninth rebranding, regrouping of my career. But the day started with church services, of course. All praise and glory to the Lord, first and foremost. But then, after that, I did some reading, and, uh, you know, you, that's, that's a JL Sunday. I go from reading scripture to reading about animals with large cocks slitting throats of other creatures in folklore Africa, and <laughs> I can't talk about it anymore, guys. I can't talk about the book review anymore. I don't want to spoil it for the good Patreon people. Um, but I'm telling I sorry, I, I'm, I'm, here's the thing. Here's the deal, man, if I can talk like a young Joe Biden. I'm proud of what I'm putting out on the Patreon. Like that's, that was, as I said with cameos, anything I charge fans for, I really feel like I have to do a really good job so I don't feel guilty. Um, because comedy makes you feel like a fucking, an unpaid intern grateful for the opportunity to just tell jokes but it's like you do want to make money you do want to have a career but anyway uh and then i um i walked the cook's bear and then it was time to go to uh philadelphia where i would get picked up to go to sellersville so instead of a road recap blog i'm just going to recap it for you here and then we'll get to the main story our main story tonight why is a comedian claiming prejudice from an agency that also rejected jl that was the uh fake fake john oliver character i'm working on um so i get on a train i used amtrak points because i have like over a quarter of a million amtrak points um, my goal is to become the first 1 million points person on Amtrak. It won't get me a single thing, but that's the goal, guys. And the more gigs I get and the more train trips I take, the closer I'll get to that goal. But, you know, it takes a few years to get as many points as I have. Tea break. Um, wouldn't it be great if I was really famous and I could just have T-Pain record the sound effect for tea break? What? I don't. I can't do... Anywho, um, so I get on the Crescent, which is the train from New York to New Orleans, which I'm sure I have I've taken that before. I took it from New Orleans back to New York when I was working the Baton Rouge Funny Bone, which of course closed down because the JL Jinx leaves no stone unturned, and. So the Crescent is a long-range train, so it has assigned seats. I'm only going to Philadelphia, but obviously a lot of people are going very far south on this train. Spacious seats because it is a long-range train, but I sit down in my assigned seat, and then a family is sitting behind me, uh, two parents, two children, and I hear the mom saying to the father, uh, Xander, Zan, I, I can't not use a pretentious, like, 
tone. Xander uh, wants his probiotic. And I wanted to kill myself right then. Um, comedy only makes me funny suicidal. But hearing uh, parents say, Xander wants his... Pro there were so many offensive things in that fucking sentence. Xander wants his probiotic. I'm sitting here talking about kombucha and, and yogurt, about, you know, live active cultures and probiotics, because I'm in my 40s and a giant, and I don't want to die too soon. What kid is requesting his probiotics? Like, what? He wants his pro... And by the way, the two kids sitting behind me, I believe the oldest was five or six, if I, no older than six. And, his, you know, but if you're asking what kind of kid requests his probiotics, it's a kid named Xander. That's who. So this family is already irritating me, but it's like, okay, just read your book. Read your book. And then, of course, the parents have to have their children watching their tablet. Now, you know what I did when I was a kid? I would have a toy or I would have a book. And that's how I traveled, with a toy or a book. They caused no noise. They didn't interfere with other people's enjoyment of life. But now every parent, and I see the defensiveness from parents, which is like, well, when you give them the tablet, it often distracts. Yeah, you're poisoning your kid for, for a moment of peace. We all got here without tablets. This idea, it's the same thing when parents go, uh, your cell phone, you know, well, well, what if the kid has an emergency? What did we do with emergencies before cell phones? I'm just curious. What did we, did, did nobody ever find their kids? That was it. We, we were all lost. I don't even, I'm not even with my actual parents. My parents were, were I was kidnapped when I was five. And because I didn't have a cell phone, um, my parents aren't even my parents. Is that what happened to all of us? Or did we just fucking deal with it? And did life manage without mobile technology and screens? I get it that there's advantages. But I mean, the amount, screens are bad. And the screen companies, the Apples, the Googles, the Androids, the whoever's, they want your kids on screens immediately. That's why, like, when, they, when you give a phone to a kid, they're like, we'll allow you to do any parental control you want. And then the parents are like, oh, that's good. We can... No, it's not good. It's like saying, oh, they're just giving us kids crack. It's okay. They let me dilute the crack. So they're not getting that New Jack City toothless suck-a-dick-in-an-alleyway cell phone crack. They're getting fun dip level crack. And that's okay for kids because I'm in control because I'm the mother of Xander, a fucking five-year-old douchebag in the making. Well, Xander and all of his ilk. Um, and by the way, white kids. So now I went after an 11-year-old black kid for crying at Spider-Man a few months ago. Well, now in a in a, in, a, in a moment of bipartisan biracialness, I'm going after an even younger white child. So how about that? Uh, if there's one lesson you can take from this podcast, it's JL hates all colors and creeds. But they give this kid a screen and they're watching their tablet with no headphones. Now, I know the argument would be, well, it's the, the, both children are watching the tablet. Oh, good. So the five-year-old and the three-year-old are engaging in screen, screen crack. Good. Um, well, here's an idea. If you can't afford the family room on the train, okay, and this I'm speaking of as an Amtrak baller right now, 
then maybe your kids can't watch the fucking tablet. <gasps> Wait a second. You mean if I can't fully convenience myself without inconveniencing strangers, my children might have to do something other than watch their screens? <gasps> oh no. Yes, that's the answer. Open up a book. A coloring book. How about a coloring book? How about a book? How about a toy? How about an action figure? How about a book where you pick out your future gender and, and name? Whatever you want to do, Xander and Xander's family. But can we not do the thing where we're watching kids' movies on loud volume so that the gentleman of Amtrak, the Amtrak legend, J.L. Covan, sitting right in front of you, can read his book in peace? No, we can't do that? Okay, choke on your probiotic. How about that? I hope he didn't choke on his probiotic, guys. I gotta have a moment of realness. I don't want I don't want kids choking on their probiotics, so I apologize for that. I just that was a moment of rage and it's past and I apologize. But without sounding like one of these participation trophies are ruining kids, bro. Because nobody's a bigger participation trophy than Donald Trump. But what I will say is, I can't see how this won't influence and impact the next generation. This kind of, and, and it's, it's one of those things. The cell phone and mobile technology has sort of accelerated our worst trends as people. Because, you know what, on an Amtrak, it's two young white children feeling, just being, being giving the impression that their comfort and their enjoyment, there is no cost to it. Um, I have a unique set of skills and also a unique set of parents, but if I were listening to a device at five without headphones, if these things existed, you know what my parents would have said? My father would have said, you don't listen to that in public. Like he would just be like, put the headphones. He would probably, he would probably just be against it. He'd be like, you don't get little children, these technology things. And my mom would probably have said, what the fuck are you... This is me at five, by the way. My mom would have said, What the fuck are you doing? Put the headphones in. What, nobody wants to hear your shit. And yes, that might be rough, but it also, may, it also gives you the idea that, you, that strangers matter, that other people matter, even if done in a rough way. It, it gives you the idea that, oh, other people matter. That's why when I turn corners on streets, I turn corners very widely and I look around the corner because I'm a very big person and that's me looking out for others because if I conduct my ah every time I say I I feel like I'm veering into Chappelle if I was walking down the street and saw a trans person I would do 10 jokes about it at a John Mulaney concert but um because I know most people as I turn corners, do not do the same thing. They turn corners like, well, I'm turning this corner. Come what may. If I walk into an old lady who's shuffling, well, then I'm, I'm walking. Whereas I adopt a more um, you know, cautious approach because I understand the power that comes with being 6'7", 260, even though other people don't walk with that same courtesy. And maybe that stems from my parents just letting me know that strangers matter, that other people matter, that reflecting well on your family matters. And now uh, the Xanders of the world just get imprinted from an early age that I'm watching a screen and 
Me and my brother don't have headphones, so guess what, tall stranger fuckface? You're gonna listen to this program, too. Weeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
for a second, I was like, oh, was he yelling? Like, were, do they know each other? Like, was he yelling at her or with her or doing something? And they're, because he's approaching her like he knows her. But then I see her turn and kind of look like, um, like with a kind of please leave me alone. And apparently he's, you know, he's making her uncomfortable. And then she looks back and sees, hey, if anybody will defend me from this muscular black guy, it's that Italian police officer walking behind me. <laughs> He'll probably tune him up just for fun. So she hangs back a little bit. And then I just walked with her, creating a sort of human shield. And the man just stopped on the bridge and expectorated and then just looked out on the water. Um, very thoughtful. Uh, probably conjuring life. Like, if I can't aggressively holler at a stranger after I was just screaming into the sky on this bridge, then what am I even doing here? And then I asked her if she was okay, and she was like, yeah, yeah, I'm calling the cops now. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, oh, no, is this, this is how shit starts. Now, she's not wrong, of course. And this is, uh, by the way, <clears throat> I was protecting a black woman. Okay, thank you. Please Venmo me at Jean-Louis-Covin. Okay, Venmo me, ally, hero, half black man defending black woman in Philadelphia. Hashtag Medal of Freedom. Uh, (laughs) But she was calling the cops. And in my head, I was like, She's totally right. Like, she was almost calling the cops, not because he was pursuing her, but she was doing kind of like a civic thing of like, there's a guy who's kind of aggressive and creepy. Um, But then I thought, if this guy's either crazy or not crazy and just a piece of shit, but, you know, like I said, he was, he's like a, a little erratic, jacked black dude. So I feel like cops rolling up, like that's one of those situations that could escalate super quickly. Um... But it's okay because when I got picked up from 30th Street Station, um, uh, he wasn't there anymore. Like like, a, like 20 minutes later, he was no longer there. So um, either the cops um, threw him off the bridge or um, he just calmed down and, and went his, 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 his own way. So uh, either way, it seems like it was resolved. So then I get into the car and we're going to Sellersville, Pennsylvania. And this whole day... As you can imagine, I left, I left my apartment at 1.50 p.m. to go to Newark Penn Station, which, as always, is a fucking disaster. Um, it really is. But uh, I get to Newark Penn. I get there. He picks me up, and we're headed to sell it. So I, I left my apartment at 1.50 p.m., for an 8 p.m. show in Sellersville, Pennsylvania. But I killed time and read, and I enjoy Philadelphia. You know, the sites I, the only sites I see in Philadelphia, which are 30th Street Station, Shake Shack, uh, Helium. I saw all three of them. So we're driving, and we get to Sellersville around 6.45 p.m. But this whole day, I'm kind of like, what am I doing? Like, is this, for a few hundred bucks, is this is this worth it? Like, what am I, what am I doing? Um, is this the life I want? And we get to the theater, and it's a nice theater, and I order a lamb pappardelle, which was fucking delicious from the like restaurant next to the theater where they order food for the, for the performers. 
and I'm on a show with uh, it was it was a guy, a guy uh, familiar in the comedy New York comedy scene to the people of my level. Sean Eli put the show together. He puts together a lot of sort of corporate gigs and and different types of shows like that and like local East Coast shows. And a comedian, an older comedian named Tom Ryan, who I have met at uh, barbecues at Sean's house, but had not connected until I heard his set that he was the guy who opened for Gary Goldman when I saw him at Carnegie Hall last year. And I was just like, I didn't even connect that you were the Tom, because I only knew him as Tom at the barbecues. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, right, there you were. You were opening for Gary Goldman at Carnegie Hall. That's how I know you. And it was, it was very funny to kind of, it was, I, I compared it to when I would see like neighborhood priests growing up walking without their collar in my neighborhood. And it would just be like, Oh, Father Provoromo, right. I forgot. Like, you're not wearing the collar. You're just a, you're a person right now. You're not, you're not, uh, and it was, it was that kind of like weird when you see somebody outside of the setting, you don't make the connection. And so I eat that dinner, and I, I, the meal came like 15 minutes before I was to go on stage, and I started scarfing this thing down, and it was so good. And I think it was just more proof that eating makes me happy, guys. I think I'm going to get back onto the path to being fat. Just kidding. Just kidding, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you might like me thin and ripped as well, and I respect that. Uh, I don't go that way. I hope that doesn't make me hateful. Um, but I'm an ally. Uh, you know, if, if, if anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that uh, eating the food, eating delicious food right before going on stage, there's two schools that some comics are like, I can't eat before I go on stage. And I'm like, no, no. I can eat. I enjoy eating before I go on stage because it, it makes me happy. Eating makes me happy. Music makes me high, Lost Boys, and eating makes me happy, J.L. Coven. Um, but uh, I went on stage and I absolutely fucking ripped it. And it just made me a little sad because I was like, of course I choked last week during my special taping. Now, to be fair to me, I didn't choke on the first special taping, but that was the right amount of pressure. The second special taping was too much pressure for me because it was like I had to rectify the wrongs of the past. And it was good. It's very good. But it wasn't the first taping. But I'll let you guys judge because most of you have no fucking idea what either show was. And I think you'll be very impressed with both, but you'd probably see a difference. It's the difference between throwing a perfect game and, you know, giving up two runs in eight innings and getting a quality win. Both are good results, but a perfect game is sort of legendary. Tea break. So, uh, uh, um, I absolutely ripped this fucking set. I tore this motherfucker up. And I got new bits. I can't wait to get the tape. I did a bit about being the Let's Go Brandon of Russia. Like walking around the Kremlin screaming, let's go Poontang. And I'm going, they don't even know what Poontang is in Russia. They, they, they don't translate well. So Putin doesn't even know that I'm owning him. It was just, it was an off-the-cuff thing that was crushing. But I did, like, I killed this set. I killed it. And it felt so good. And, you know, and then I got home and, and ate some Talenti and... Uh, went to bed and the righteous girlfriend was yelling at me to stop eating talenti at midnight. <laughs> and I was like, I just crushed Sellersville, Pennsylvania. So shut the fuck up. I didn't say that at all, but that's what I felt. That's what I felt. Cause I'd done really well. And, um, 
you know, cheesy joke to start the set, but I just, I said, uh, by the light, light attendance, I said, well, uh, now I know why they don't call this town Byersville. And I had a, there, I, and I did it again, folks, with the MAGA people. There was a table of MAGA people, and God, they loved me. And it's, it's my theory now. I, I crystallized my theory on political comedy audiences, and tell me if you agree. The MAGA people heckle me more, as I have evidence from literally three different shows in this year. Three audiences have heckled me. All three have been MAGA people. But all three I have won over with skill, grace, and humor. And by the end of the show, they love me. They love me three minutes later because I'm just I'm good enough and I can turn it against them in a funny way. Like I, I got to the point where I said to them, hey, do you see how we're laughing here? So it doesn't matter that I voted for Joe Biden and I'm a better person than you. We can get along if we all agree that I'm hilarious, right? And they're laughing because they know there's some truth to that what I'm saying. In, I believe some of what I'm saying, but I'm still saying it really funny. The difference is when I get heckled by a left-wing person, which is much rarer. So that's the good thing. I feel like the left heckles me less. But when they heckle, they can't be won back. Because to them, it's you've crossed a line, like a moral line that supersedes comedy, even though you're making jokes in a comedy club. So the rare times that happens, I remember I had a joke on Keep My Enemies Closer, where I basically, I called gay men the Michael Jordans of the gay movement. Like they basically did the heavy, they did the heavy lifting, they paid the heavy, heaviest prices. With, of course, without diminishing individual issues that of course, lesbians deal with. And I'm sorry, at the time it was really just gay men and lesbians I was talking about. I wasn't interpreting all the other initials. But, and I said, lesbians, like, they contributed, of course. They're like the Steve Kerrs of the gay rights movement. Like, and I'm not just saying because they have similar haircuts. Now, that's a funny joke. And, you know, but I went to the thing, like, gay men, they got the disease. They, they also made more of the art. And, like, I was just, yes, it's, yes, it's insulting. And, yes, it's not, it's, it's a joke with a hint of truthfulness in it. But obviously not if you ask me, like, like if somebody says, oh, you don't think gay women are Of course. Of course you've suffered and dealt with a lot of awful shit. Um, but I told that joke and it crushed on the taping. But then I told that joke a couple of years later and there was a, there was a, a lesbian couple like at the, at the show. And they were having none of it. And I was like, it's not about you personally. I'm speaking in the aggregate. But I couldn't win them back. And, of course, that's very personal, but on the few times that I've been heckled for whatever reason about that's not funny or too far, I don't win those people back. But the hecklers happen more with the MAGA folk, but I can win them back. And if I'm being honest, I'd prefer non-hecklers that I win over. But if I have to pick between a person who probably won't heckle, but I can't win back versus somebody who heckles, but that I can win them over. It's more fun. It's kind of more fun. I don't, this is not an advertisement for please heckle me and see if I can win you back. But it is more fun because you feel like you've earned more when you're like, oh, you, you hate me as a person and I'm still making you laugh. How about that? You MAGA shithead. 
but they were a great crowd and I was great. That's just a fact. But man, I can't wait to get that tape because there were a couple of like new things. And I, of course, I said some bits better than I did on, on, on the taping last Saturday. But that's going to happen. That happens with almost every album I've ever done. They, I, I'll do a joke and I'm like, this is amazing. And then like a year later, I'm like, this joke is like three times better now because I kept adding and working on it um, organically. But the show was amazing and that made me feel really good. And so now we're going to get our main story tonight. Um, there was an article, uh, a comedian who actually appeared on Making Podcasts Great Again. And quick plug, um, if you're not listening to it, go listen to Making Podcasts Great Again. It's a, it's a fun, fun time. And um, did I mention my Patreon? Patreon.com slash J-L-C-A-U-V-I-N. Go join that. Um, Father's Day is coming up. Cameo orders are appreciated. And you will get the greatest gift you've ever given for the for the father or father figure in your life and anything else to plug boston tickets go get your tickets to boston get them now don't wait tell your friends tell your relatives tell everybody get your tickets two shows city winery boston july 15th anyway um this comedian tyler fisher who was on uh making podcast great again and i will say this up front talented guy funny guy i've always found him funny and that goes a long ways for me as you guys probably know um, I saw uh, Adam Carolla on the problematic Bill Maher show this, this, this past Friday, and I enjoyed it. And people always say, how can you still watch Bill Maher? I'm like, well, at some point, you know, it, it went from Adam Carolla being kind of my funny guy that I disagree with politically, who his show kind of went too far in the Tucker Carlson, Ben Shapiro range, especially the audience itself. But now with shifting times and shifting personalities, Bill Maher is sort of my centrist, libertarian-ish voice that I still listen to, even though I find myself disagreeing with him more and more. Um, I don't disagree with him enough to like turn him off, but I, but he's, he's fine enough for me to still listen to, but, but disagreeable enough that I feel like I'm getting a little bit of the disagreeable other voices that I think are still important to get. Whereas Corolla used to be that and the show went too far right where I was like, well, I'm not getting the same, but they, but he was on the show with Mar and I laughed at both of them because I still think Corolla is funny. Like when people go, he's not funny. I'm like, well, no, I I don't I don't even go on his show anymore. So you don't have to question my credentials about what I think his show has become. But I'm also not going to go. Yeah, he's not even funny. No, he is funny. He's really funny. Um, Bill Maher is hit and miss. Um, like for instance, he did a very controversial, um, final rule about trans, the growth of trans, the trans community. Agree or disagree. I, I and I, I understood it, it was definitely a, a made for controversy, I think. And of course you hate it when you see all the right wing bigots and pieces of shit sharing it. But that doesn't always mean it's like hateful or harmful content. But unfortunately in, in some hands it will be. And I know, I'm sure people listening to this, some people disagree. I thought it was a very funny, but also interestingly crafted questioning. And I understand, though, both sides, because where do you draw the line? Like, where is someone allowed to ask questions before those questions become weaponized by malice-motivated personalities? Like, just by, I don't think Bill Maher is, is motivated by malice. I think he's motivated by being a provocateur and by free speech. 
And that can be dangerous in and of itself, but is that really the line to draw? I don't think so. But obviously, when somebody like Bill Maher says something to be provocative or to raise questions that you can disagree with or think he's wrong, but it's not. But but those can be quickly weaponized. But where do you, like I said, where do you draw the line? Do you do you not? Do you just say don't say that because bad people will take it and run with it, or do you say say it and? Hope that people are nuanced enough to know that you're not siding with the worst people on this issue or debate. I don't know. But the point is, Tyler Fisher, a very funny guy. He, he played Fauci on our podcast. and, he, and um, But he was, he was lurching into that far-ish right um, kind of mode of like, you know, he would say things like, I'm not anti-vax. I'm anti-vaccine mandate. But it's like, yeah, but during a pandemic, uh, it's a distinction without a difference, really. It's an academic distinction. But in practice, it's a useless distinction. It's one to make yourself be you're trying to curry favor with the right while not being condemned by the left and trying to walk some sort of intellectual tightrope. But it's weak. But he appeared at like, you know, anti-mandate rallies in D.C. and spoke. And he's he's really grown his brand kind of leaning hard into anti-wokeness, anti... And, it, and it's expanded from just... Because I knew, I could tell from his Fauci impression that he was not on the same side as me politically. But it was really funny. And, you know, at some level, you have to engage... You, on certain things and at certain levels, you have to engage and be okay with people not agreeing with you. And when it comes to comedy, I will look past a lot if you are funny. If we're doing a comedy product and you're funny, that, that holds a lot of weight. It's not 100%, but it's, it's damn near close unless you sort of say and do egregious things that I can't look past. Tea break. But he really leaned into, you know, it, it, it started, and, and I don't know what happened first. Was he right-leaning and then, like, the money started flowing? Because there's obviously a shorter pipeline. Like, being a conservative commentator is like being a catcher in baseball. It's a much quicker path to the majors because there's way less competition at those spots. Fewer people want to do it or are willing to do it. So as the YouTube and the TikTok numbers and the monetization goes up, you know, it becomes like a, lean, a deeper lean-in um, like I get frustrated because I do lots of different videos and most of the time it's only the Trump stuff that really hits because of how my accounts have been branded. But I like to diversify. And for anybody who thinks like, well, you just fucking grifted off of your Trump impression. I'm like, yeah, but I was doing my Trump impression for five years with no expectation or hope of making money off of it. I had basically given up on the idea. So it's, it's hard to claim that I'm just doing this for the money when it was like, well, I did do it for five years for no money and no expectation of money. I didn't, you can't predict going viral. So he um, has just leaned in hard to this and it's become kind of difficult to watch, even though I will still sometimes catch one of his Fauci videos and I'm like, I know he disagrees, but it is funny. This is funny. But other characters that are very popular is like, you know, effeminate liberal guy. Because every time, if you're a liberal man, you have to be portrayed as like a lisping, uh, a lisping, uh, flaming gay person because being sensitive or compassionate or progressive is um, not just being gay, but it's being very um, stereotypically birdcage gay. And that's when I was kind of like, okay, so now this is like, and I honestly thought to myself, I was like, yeah, you got like 2 million views for that. Good for you. 
but it, it feels beneath your talent. And I think that's, that's when I get annoyed almost on someone's behalf, even if they don't want it, is when, I, when it feels like they're being, when they're pandering and they're better than that, like they're better at comedy than they're doing, but they're, they're delivering sort of, you know, monetizable content for like dummies or assholes. So that said, I just wanted to preface because people were, when I posted the thing about uh, what I'm about to discuss, people were like, well, maybe he's just not that funny. And it's like, no, he is. He is funny. And I, that's almost what frustrates me um, because I have this tendency, and I think I've said it before, to equate comedic talent with good person, <laughs> which is obviously not true. Bill Cosby. Um, but he, he was in a New York Post article this weekend. And it was, I think it was, was it Friday? I think it was Friday um, or Saturday. I think it was Friday. It was Friday or Saturday. It's one of those two days. And he's suing a talent uh, management company for rejecting him for being white. Now, I open up the article because somebody sent it to me. A friend sent it to me and was like, you could probably do something like this except uh, about the appearance of being white. Now, what I'm about to tell you is very interesting because in the article it describes a, a man named Alex who works for the agency. Not, I mean, he's not a manager, but he's, he's I guess, trying to work his way up there. Um, and who, according to Tyler, said roughly, we think, according, this is Tyler's allegation, we think you're a star, we think you're great, but we can't work with you because you're white. Now, I don't know that that's a direct quote, but that's the quote that Tyler said to the article. And Tyler is referring to um, justifiable racism. I don't know if that's a new term on the right or if he's trying to coin that term. And then he's writing to Jordan Peterson on Twitter trying to obviously uh, get this. And he said something in, in his tweet about like, I've been fighting this silently for nine years, but now I have to like, many people are afraid and have quit the business because of this. And I'm like, what? Like, and that's when I start to be like, I want receipts, I want names, I want evidence, because now it just sounds like pure politics and bullshit, like for clout, for like, this feels like clout chasing among the, you know, it's like, he already has been signed by like a, a, an agency that reps like conservative talent. So he's going to be set in that space. So this isn't about being welcomed back into the fold of mainstream lib Hollywood. This is about boosting your status with the people who already back you. And that's maybe the name of the game. That's why I hate this bit. Like I will not play those games. Like I keep, I will lose fans with jokes. I will lose some progressive fans with some of my jokes. I already have. I have over the last year and a half. But I'm like, but that's then you're not a fan. You're not the fan I want. Thanks for watching the videos when you did. But you're not. You're not going to be part of whatever long term career I have or don't have. So I read this article, and he I think taped uh, this gentleman Alex on the phone, and Alex is really obviously just the messenger. And the reason I know this, and here's the funny twist. I had the same conversation over a year ago, basically. With, with this person, Alex, and with this uh, regarding possible talent representation from this agency. Because when I blew up, Alex reached out to me. And I knew him, a very nice guy. He ran like a podcast studio in his apartment. He was always trying to become, you know, building contacts. And I think he clearly had an eye on becoming sort of uh, on the, the representation side of the business at some point. So he's working his way up. 
um, through, through, through a company. And he reached out to me and wanted to make a pitch. So he pitched me. And he had told me um, when I followed up with him, he was like, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I haven't gotten back to you. If, if I could rep you, I'm not allowed to sign clients yet, I would sign you. But he said, they're not looking for comedians right now. And he, the way he put it to me is they're looking for multi-hyphenate writers, which multi-hyphenate is a tactful way of saying uh, gay Latino, black woman, uh, trans canine, whatever. Like, you know, the that's the implication of what he was saying. And of course, that's stung because I'm like, I mean, I am... I, I do have more than just Trump. I don't. I hope you pitched that. And I was like, you know, I'm a very multifaceted, talented, experienced, comedic impersonator writer, and I also am biracial. I am half Haitian, half Irish. I know I don't give off good ally face, but I do have a perspective and and a diversity that is authentic, um, uh, both in what I produce and also for checking boxes if we're being like vulgar about it but I didn't I was just like well there's just another avenue that's not happening for me and if I if I had to be honest I would say do I think appearing white or not ethnic to people has been I want to say a deal breaker but a sort of non-starter it might have been it probably has been to a certain degree even though i try to put out my story and i i joke on the uh, uh one addition to the special taping that wasn't on the album version was where i talk about do i have to start writing in tweets you know as a half black man i enjoy chocolate chip cookies as the nephew of black women i enjoy pizza like do i have to keep pumping that like it was a joke obviously because that's not what i'm going to do that's the problem i don't want to do that um, and I've seen lesser talents lean hard into that, um, sometimes to good effect, sometimes not. But, I mean, I saw it with Sarah Cooper. I saw the narrative as I read her articles over 2020 where it went from, I was just doing this Trump video. And then by like two months in, a media message had been crafted where it was like, as a black woman to make fun of Trump, it's especially powerful. So it, became, it leaned into all that stuff. And she played the game or her agents played the game and good for her. I don't like playing game like I I do the best I can but like I'm one of those people who I'd rather die on the let my comedy speak for itself hill because at some point if you have to sell out too hard it's not worth it but basically I got a similar better coded message um from Alex regarding the feedback he had received and I just said, okay, well, thank you for trying. And I guess that's, that's that. And of course, very frustrating, angered me. But, you know, I just thought I'm fighting an uphill battle. Um, and I, I, I can't remember if I say this in the special, but, but the summary of my, my career feels like the worst of both worlds when it comes to a push for diversity. Like, in other words, not only do I not get maybe a, a shot at sharing my voice it's almost like I get, because of the way I look, my background is erased, not to use buzzy social media progressive words, but it's like the worst of both worlds where it's like, oh, not only are you not person of colorish enough for us to maybe make you somebody like that we're, when we're looking for different voices and perspectives, but we're not even going to acknowledge that you are in fact 
a diverse voice <laughs> or a diverse, provide a diverse perspective, which I do. And that's why Half Blackface is so important to me because it's getting in comedy form, not in weepy confessional, but in real great comedy. It's getting that message across. Like, I don't know, what do you do if you're half black, but you don't look half black to most people? Like, how do you own that? How do you, how do you get that out? If you just, not even to be some sort of special hire, but just to be like, but this is a unique experience that I'm sharing. So this does have value beyond just being funny. But then I just, you know, I complain to you guys is what I do when I get a message or a moment that I don't like in the comedy business. So thank you for doing that. But apparently what I should have done was tape record Alex and then go to the press with my PR people and sue them, um, which I find so distasteful. And this is coming from a comedian who has been passed over, possibly for somewhat racial reasons. And the irony is, he's being, if, if it's true, Ty, 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 Tyler is being passed over for racial reasons, I was passed over for racial reasons that erase my actual race, which is somehow feels even worse. Now, the truth is, if Alex said it how he said it, I think what happened was he probably assumed he was talking to a friend or a person he was friendly with and could speak frankly or in short form. But obviously, um, when you're dealing with a MAGA grifter, somebody who is playing this for everything it's worth, you obviously can't trust that person. Um, and I think it's very, I just found it, I find it very distasteful and gross because what it probably meant was, here's, here's the thing with entertainment. So there is a push for diversity and for diverse perspectives and, and content. So if, if you're an agency and you're like, right now, what's hot, what we're seeing a lot of is black women-driven stories, uh, Latino-driven stories, um, gay, gay, uh, gay, gay, LGBTQ stories. If you're seeing that and you already have a roster that includes a lot of successful white male comics, which they do, the truth is you're going to analyze your, your, your roster through that lens. And that's a business decision. That's not a we're discriminating against you because you're white. That's a that we have a lot of white people competing for a select number of roles and opportunities. What we really need is we need to bolster our roster with other people because that's where the work is right now. Now, if, if you're speaking to a friend, you might use shorthand and say, yeah, we can't use you because you're, you're a white guy. You're a straight white guy. So it's like we got enough of that. But if you're talking to a non-friend with nefarious purposes about business, you should obviously say it in a much more nuanced way like I just did. But he didn't. And now this is going to be spun uh, in right-wing media, and it's going to boost uh, Tyler's career, I'm sure, as like a victim. And they're racist, and they're doing – whereas what you probably just did was cost Alex a job. Now, if he was sloppy, he seemed to have been sloppy with this. He, prob he, he made a mistake that I sometimes make, which is, oh, I thought I was talking to a friend, but when business is talking, you can't trust anybody. And that's probably a good way to be, is when you're talking business, do not trust, period. It's a good rule of thumb, but it feels a little cold. But what this will end up doing is he's going to take this to he's trying to sue the place he wants to get make some money they offered to settle he's going to he wants to embarrass them and become he wants to become a sort of a conservative comedy martyr 
Um, even though he's not martyring himself, he's actually just boosting his clout within the group that already supports him and will make more money from that group and probably get on like Gutfeld and things like that. But this is what I mean when I think that comedians are, are gener- of all stripes generally don't seem to be great people, a lot of them, because you probably cost this guy Alex a job, which maybe he should lose, but um, I, and I say that from the agency's perspective, not from my own opinion, but the agency is probably very, uh, very unhappy right now with the phone, you know, if he still has a job. So you cost somebody a job. He was literally the messenger. You, had the me- you may have had the messenger killed. And you've distorted this for media attention uh, to make yourself into a victim of, of the real racism by woke Hollywood progressives or whatever. But the truth is this probably isn't that. This is probably shorthand for we're already got clients that look like you or, or represent, you know, would be competing with you for certain things. So, no, we're not going to hire you even though we think you have talent. Um, because what we really want is uh, people who don't look like you because we're seeing more work. That's, and I think that would obviously be the defense. And the defense would be to throw Alex under the bus if you're the company. If, you, if this goes to litigation, you throw them under the bus. Now, what you might not want, and anybody who has any, you know, maybe Tyler's lawyer is advising him, discovery could be very, uh, very bad for an agency to see their internal deliberations and their internal opinions on things. And that's usually the type of thing that an agency will want to protect because those things were probably not privileged. Um, And so this may end up looking even worse for them. But in truth, what it probably is, is you're not where the work is right now, Tyler. But how it was how it's going to be spun is we can't work with white men and that's going to make us enough of the population salivate and, and come in their uh, bigoted pants. And it's really gross. And it was just another thing of like, I'm sitting here going, Michelle Obama told me when they go low, you go high. No, I don't go high. I go low. I go very low on this podcast with you guys, but out in these streets, I try to go high. Like, I've been turned down and ignored by so many managers, and I haven't been able to get a phone call or a, or a meeting with anybody. Despite fame and popularity, etc. But I never thought of litigating. The only litigation I thought of is, like, if you fuck up my special, there might be a cause for damages to my career in terms of timing and in terms of fucking up the work. But I never thought, you don't want to sign me and now I'm going to sue. I just thought, well, fuck you. Moving on. Not really moving on. You know what I mean. Moving on, but like griping to my podcast listeners for the next year. But it's, it's a re, it's, it's, you know, and if a left wing person sued, it would be a participation trophy, nanny state, cuck. But when it's a conservative voice, quote unquote, uh, con- grifting um, or playing the algorithm. And, and, and at some point when the money talks, maybe you just your beliefs start to get hardened because the paycheck is helping solidify what might have been questioning or centrist beliefs when those checks start coming in from, from MAGA, MAGA nation and whatnot. Uh, it starts to maybe become much more of a hardened belief. But suing? No. Never like it's it's 
what a low point. What a, what a low point I, I would view that as for me to be like the only thing left for me to do is sue talent agencies for not signing me. Once again, my philosophy is if, if it ever got to that point, well, then I'm just going to – I will quit. I would quit before it got to a point of I'm suing this agency for rejecting me. No. I, I, to the day I die, I will think every agent and manager who's rejected me is a dumb fucking lazy idiot. I don't think that's a cause for legal action, though. <laughs> but that's where we are now. That's where we are, folks. So JL takes the high road and loses again. But you know what? That's my brand, and I'm sticking to it. So thank you for listening, guys. I have to go get back to my day job now because um, they pay me regularly. And I hope you enjoyed this. So, yeah, Boston Show, Patreon, Making Podcasts Great Again cameos for Father's Day or birthdays or graduations. That's all you need to know. Everything is at jlcomedy.com. So you can just click on various tabs. Um, And what the hell? If you haven't listened to my albums or or you're missing some albums or go stream or buy some of my albums in preparation, H, for uh, the eventual release of Half Blackface, which is, you know... It only becomes more relevant, more timely. So it'd be nice if we could, I mean, the fact that this album will have had potent relevancy for, for, you know, a nine-month, ten-month stretch is pretty impressive. So, uh, yeah, go get some of my albums or listen to some of my albums to prepare for it because it's going to be, it's going to be good. It's going to be May. So thank you for listening. Have a great week. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Um... There will be a uh, – the Mike Pence Gaming will go up on the Patreon this week, as will uh, a review of A Strange Loop, the Broadway musical Tony favorite, um, which I am seeing Tuesday night of this week. So lots of bonus stuff going up. New sketches are getting filmed in June. So, yeah, lots to enjoy on for free and for pay. So hopefully you can support, and if not – uh, give a five-star review. That's the other thing. Uh, haven't gotten any reviews or five-star reviews in, in, in like a month. So if you haven't, get on Apple Podcasts and do that. Last request. If you have no money, that's what you can do. So thank you guys, and I will see you next Tuesday. Bye.